Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host this week, Clayton Baumgarth, with co-host Benta Boutier. Today we're talking with guests about the recent extreme weather and poor air quality in Indiana and the Midwest. We've got four guests with us today. Gabriel Filippelli, Executive Director for the Environmental Resilience Institute at IU. Andrew White, National Weather Service Indianapolis Meteorologist. Joining us at the bottom half of the show will be Dr. W. Graham Carlos III, MD, Executive Medical Director for IU Health Physicians at Eskenazi Health and Indiana University Bicentennial Professor of Medicine, and Dr. Robert Adams, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, IU Health Bloomington Emergency Medicine. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, looking forward to talking about the issues at hand. Uh, kind of want to start with just um, with with Gabe. And really going into the air quality issue, I mean, how bad have the recent air quality alerts been, and how long do you think that this will continue? Well, thank you. Um, I've been following the issue for quite a while, uh, actually over the last uh, several weeks, when we had a similar two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we had a similar uh, Canadian wildfire event, uh, which covered my my daughter lives in, in New York, and, and her air was of an air quality index, so AQI, that was in the violet so very dangerous actually to be outside. Numbers that I, I typically only see when I work uh, in the Southeast Asia and Pakistan and China. Here over the last couple of days, uh, we've actually had had air quality that is not quite as bad as that, but it's pretty intense. Um, oddly, my other child lives in Chicago and similarly, uh, they were told not to go outside. So uh, this, this smoke, the smoke from these fires was like a plume sitting right over the Midwest uh, and a stagnant plume. And in fact, they kept the numbers kept elevating until I believe uh, a day and a half ago, they were at uh, air quality index of 261, which is pretty dangerous. Yeah, it's really uh, unprecedented, I feel, and especially in this area of the country. But um, thank you for your thoughts there. Also, real quick, go to Dr. to uh, to Andrew. Um, how unusual were this, this recent tornado activity for this time of year? Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so across uh, central Indiana, we just uh, kind of went through uh, a small tornado outbreak. So we had four tornadoes across uh, the central Indiana area. Um, so, you know, during the June time frame, it's definitely not unheard of to get these little quick uh, thunderstorm outbreaks with a few tornadoes. Um, but, you know, in the summertime, it's not a big time typically for us to see those tornadoes. We're usually more thinking in the April to May time frame and then that secondary season in October and November. Okay. And so, Dr. Adams, I'm curious to hear about what you were thinking when you saw some of these reports about air quality. And even if you have thoughts about the storms as well, what were some of the things that you were anticipating or started to see um, in the hospital where you work? Uh, yes, thanks for having me today. Um, the summertime is generally a, a, a busier time for 
respiratory and pulmonary patients. And it's not always infectious problems, but a lot of times it's the rapid changes in weather with humidity and heat that affect a lot of our patients who have asthma and what many know as COPD or emphysema. And so um, when I saw these air quality alerts going up, I knew immediately that we were gonna have probably an influx in all our emergency departments across the South Central region of respiratory complaints from these types of patients, um, since many of them are on home oxygen and on multiple medications to keep their lung disease kind of in a functional level. I guess that's especially concerning when there are a lot of power outages too. Yes, that makes it uh, very hard on some of these folks uh, since they have these oxygen concentrator machines that uh, give them supplemental oxygen. Many have um, canisters of oxygen as an emergency backup or they can go to somewhere where they have power, local fire station, et cetera, where they can ride some of this out. Okay. I think that the the big thing on my mind with all of this, with the air quality, uh, with the recent storms, is uh, are we gonna? Is this gonna be a trend moving forward, or was this all kind of a, a crazy blip on our radar? I mean, this is open to anyone who who's comfortable answering. But um, will this? Does this look like it'll continue in the future? Well, this is Gabe, and I'll let the um, people who do the health and meteorology uh, chime in. Certainly. But one of the things that we've seen over the last decade and a half is an increase in the size, extent, and uh, and uh, uh, sort of extremeness of wildfires in forest settings. And, and this was very much played out in these two Canadian events. So actually, it's kind of a continuing fire event in the Canadian forest. And, uh, in the, the basic driver of this is climate change. It makes much drier litter and topsoil uh, so that it's much more flammable. So even small things will, will start it up. So, uh, of course, then superimposed on that is simply the weather pattern, right? In this case, it was coming, the smoke was coming toward us. Other times it swept um, east, eastward. I have colleagues in Europe who are now starting to feel some of the smoke uh, in Europe. So... Yeah, I, I hate to say that this is another bellwether of a changing planet, a changing climate, now for which I, I think we should take events like this as, as not necessarily assuming they're going to happen every single month of every single summer, but rather uh, be a little bit more aware of what precautions are in fact available to protect those who are probably most vulnerable. So Gabe, what I'm hearing is um, we can expect to see more extreme weather, but it won't necessarily be consistently the same. I guess I remember a couple, maybe it was like three summers ago, we did a show that was on like the extreme flooding and how it was affecting farmers. You know, they were having to replant multiple times over the summer. Um, I think Indiana before all this was just in a drought. Um, so it all seems like very confusing for someone who doesn't know too much about like the technical side of climate change. I, I totally get it. Um, yeah, it's weird to think that one one driver can cause both more extreme uh, precipitation events and more extreme droughts, but such is the case with climate change. And the biggest factor it does is that oddly, it's, it's tended to stall our atmosphere a little bit more. So you have these stalled high pressure zones and these stalled low pressure zones. 
Uh, you recall that uh, I believe it was only just last year that St. Louis experienced something like 12 inches of rainfall in several hours. Uh, so these events, and, and there's also a number of flash droughts, so that we, we're familiar with the term flash flood, but a lot of agricultural producers are now are worried about flash droughts, those intense droughts right at the wrong time for crop production. So yeah, climate change is driving the extremes on both ends uh, uh, quite a bit. It's also changing the regional weather patterns, right? Um, you know, weather is, is what we feel today and climate is over longer term, but uh, certainly w we are seeing the influence here in the Midwest of, of these extremes um, such that, you know, our normal infrastructure, stormwater infrastructure, for example, is having a really hard time dealing with um, particularly extreme rainfall events. So, yeah, I know it seems confusing, but um, uh, there are scientific reasons why uh, we fully expect uh, the, this phenomenon to play out. I'm curious, maybe what uh, what Andrew has to say on this as our uh, National Weather Service person on the on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely in kind of unprecedented. Uh, time frame essentially with these fires so you know over 20 million acres have burned so far this year in canada um, which would put it already at the record essentially for the northern hemisphere for a year um, and we're only sitting here at the end of june so the fact that it's been a you know you know the, essentially the number one year for fires up that way and conditions have you know been just right to see the smoke get all the way down to the surface um, so a lot of the times we see these canadian fires and these western u.s fires i mean these happen every single year millions and millions of acres burned but most of the time that kind of gets up into the jet stream and it just kind of stays up in the sky somewhere between about 15,000 and 25,000 feet and that's what we get those kind of hazy skies or those uh you know those really red sunsets occasionally and it's pretty normal for the summer but what's been so abnormal with this is we've had two different events now where the smoke's essentially been able to either you know stay at the surface through the entire travel of getting from Canada to here or kind of come even down a little bit from higher up in the atmosphere uh, so that's definitely been on the more abnormal. And then to see those, you know, air quality index values getting into the 150s and the 200s and to see the visibility drop to, you know, a mile in spots, um, definitely unprecedented for, you know, for us here in Indiana. I guess um, fires and sometimes air quality weren't necessarily things before um, the last couple of summers I really associated really heavily with weather. It seems sort of, um, it was not like intuitive to me to consider the Canadian wildfires something that could impact weather here. Yeah, again, no, not really at the surface. Um, this the, the Canadian smoke typically stays way up in the atmosphere and really causes no impacts to us. And sometimes the fires over, you know, the western U.S., like out in California, Utah, things can be just right that we see some influence on the surface, but this is definitely um, on a more, much more extreme end than we're used to here. Okay. So one thing uh, today, the skies aren't looking as smoggy, uh, maybe not as visually there uh, that the air is dangerous, but I'm curious, what's the risk like right now, or is there any risk at all on today? Yeah, so uh, thankfully this uh, the weather pattern did kind of begin to shift yesterday, so the, the surface winds are now essentially and have been since yesterday out of the south and southwest. So essentially that means the air is coming from a different direction. We were kind of in this north to northwest you know, air pattern where stuff was able to really sink in down from Canada. But with the air coming from the south, we're able to kind of clear that out. And then especially with those strong winds we had yesterday with the thunderstorms that kind of pushed the last of it out. But, you know, unfortunately with this 
summer pattern where you know our air quality concerns shifted from one to another. So today, actually, we're dealing with elevated ozone levels, um, which that causes a, a concern, especially for those on that more sensitive um, group level for air quality. And I want to take this one to Dr. Adams, uh, just talking about maybe those sort of groups that are affected. Um, who needs to be more careful about going outside and kind of what are those effects of people that, that do end up outside for extended periods of time through these uh, bad air quality times? Yeah, that's the, some of the patients we talked about earlier, those with chronic lung disease, such as asthma and COPD, are going to be the adult populations who are most affected. But those um, folks who work outdoors all day, even though they have um, you know, normal lungs, um, are still going to sometimes feel effects of um, irritation, inflammation, coughing, irritated eyes and throat. Um, and just breathing the, the particulates um, can lead to you know, fatigue, more shortness of breath, and uh, overall for them can be hazardous over time. And then the the other population is the is the the pediatric population or, or, or the youngsters. And you know the case in point for me was uh, Wednesday, um, just uh, two days ago. I was at a little league game with my son, and I really thought that the public health side of this kind of let us down a little bit because the air quality was horrible. And just sitting there watching this game, many adults were complaining that you know they were having issues. But the little ones are breathing more particulates, you know, per pound than we are, and it's actually harder on them. But they seem to be resilient, and we just don't think about them as much. We did get an anonymous question in about this, and I'm not sure how well I any of you will be able to address this. Um, but Indianapolis did close city pools and cancel outdoor events. Um, and so why didn't Bloomington do that, especially with so many kids and summer camps outside all day? I did hear from a couple friends who have kids that their summer camps kept them in, um, but that's sort of anecdotal. But I don't know yeah. if any of you want to comment on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we have a coordinated response as, as good as, uh, say, Indianapolis does, at, you know, a, a bigger municipality, but I think Wednesday's air quality was maybe the worst it was in this stretch, and that would have been the ideal day to really dial down a lot of these outdoor activities. What kind of coordinated response would you feel good seeing, or you would you feel would mitigate people coming in to see you guys? Yeah, I I, I think more of a coordinated response from our county health department, um, since these are albeit new problems for us in this area, I don't think we're really thinking about it in a way that really protects the entire population. Um, I know there's, you know, most people are tuned into their phones and weather updates, et cetera, but really getting something from the local community, I think would be very beneficial um, to all those uh, groups of patients. Okay, so let's say for somebody who maybe owns a lawn care or landscaping business, um, the next time we see dangerous air quality levels, what would you advise someone who has a lot of employees who work outside? Um, maybe they can't give everyone the day off, or what would you advise someone who's in that position to do? Yeah, the 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 best workaround is you know trying to pick the least um, polluted hours of the day. 
Um, the particulate masks that many of us became familiar with during COVID, the N95 masks are your best bet being outdoors because they do filter some of those small particulates. The standard just face mask, uh, surgical mask, as, as we called it at the hospital, will probably help some, but not as good as the N95. So if you really have to be out to work, to do, to do things, um, that would be the recommendation. Absolutely. Today on Noon Edition, we're talking with experts about extreme weather conditions and air quality. You can join the live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition or emailing us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also call in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. Something I did want to talk about um, was right before uh, the storms hit, we were actually experiencing, and still are in many parts of the state, uh, severe drought or moderate drought. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, do we think that these incoming rains, incoming storms will actually be enough to pull us out of that drought? Or are they so fast and um, furious that they won't exactly soak into the the ground as much as we'd hope? Yeah, so I can chime in here from the Weather Service. And, um, you know, unfortunately, these quick-hitting systems, unless you're in the spots uh, that got lucky, like towards the Sullivan, um, Vincennes area yesterday, most spots uh, only saw about a half inch to an inch. And, uh, you know, this time of the year, we average about an inch or so of precipitation a week. So getting that um, essentially just keeps us in a steady pattern. Unless you really get those two, three-inch rains, um, you're not really going to see too much improvement. But thankfully, it does look like we do have a few more shots through the weekend of some additional rainfall. So that may be enough just to kind of you know, start to steady things out, maybe start to see some improvement. But unfortunately, with a lot of spots down four to six inches in the last couple months, it's going to take uh, quite a bit more rain, I think, before we really start to see some good improvement. And the other thing to consider, too, is <laughs> we have to have good rain that doesn't bring with it uh, baseball or softball-sized hail that demolishes crops, right? Like <laughs> It has to be a good quality, not destructive weather that we're looking for. Absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, how, what the rainfall rates are. If, you know, if all that rain falls in a half hour to 45 minutes, it's not going to be as beneficial at all if it, versus like if it falls over, you know, four to six hours, that a lot of that can really soak in versus running off into the streams. Absolutely. Benta? Yeah. So what do you think people should do to protect themselves when we see things like hail or other extreme weather, the tornadoes that we've seen recently? You know, we really do encourage, encourage people just to be prepared and be aware with what's going on. Um, you know, every day we, we're posting on social media and our website um, just, you know, basic overviews of what to expect for the day. So when you're seeing those higher risks, say, from the Storm Prediction Center or you're seeing some of our, if we use more enhanced wording um, in some of our products, you know, those are the days we really want people to be aware and to start thinking ahead before they go out and do their, you know, afternoon evening activities you know, we don't want people to stop what they're doing but we want people to be you know cognizant on those days that they need to be a little bit more aware of what's going on yeah. so i do have um an article from our environmental reporter pulled up and it says that on average the u.s gets more than 200 240 tornadoes from january to early april and that was nearly doubled this year I'm wondering if you can talk talk about the areas that were most affected. I guess what we saw in early June, right, um, and now this gives us the impression that we maybe were hit pretty hard. I'm wondering if you can put that into perspective. Yeah, you know, across Indiana, it's been a fairly um, busy tornado season. We're already um, well into the 20s now for uh, this 
the, the entire state, and we average about 20 to 22 per year. So we're already a little bit above average, and you know the year is only a little over halfway done. Now, granted, you know, cl- you know climatologically, we're kind of through the worst of it, but there is a secondary season as we get into the the fall time frame. We often will see at least one or two um, additional outbreaks or you know potential time frames for those tornadoes. Uh, but across the country, it's just again, it's been an uh, above average year for us. Um, really, the kind of some of the spots that have taken it the worst have been across the southern Gulf states which unfortunately they've kind of just been under the gun for tornadoes really the last you know, five to 10 years. Um, they've been seeing increasing uh, frequencies of those high end, high end tornado days. Okay. Some, another question that we received, and this one might be for Dr. Adams, um, how does or does not the recent extreme weather patterns affect the spread of viruses and disease? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting one for the summer because we, we've, think about cold and flu season being the winter time when people are in close proximity and indoors. But if people are listening to um, the advisories for uh, the poor air quality and staying indoors, we may start seeing clusters of outbreaks of respiratory viruses just due to proximity and less people dining outdoors or being outdoors. Um, so it'll be interesting to see over the next uh, few few weeks um, if we see an uptick in those kind of um, illnesses. So I actually was in, um, and this is for you, Dr. Adams, I was in an interview um, just the other day talking about the impact of COVID-19 on people who um, have COPD and, you know, it really more adversely affects them. I'm wondering what if you can give us an idea of like the impact on COVID-19 versus bad air quality, is one worse than the other for um, somebody's lungs if they're already vulnerable? Um, are they kind of the equally the same? Yeah, that's that's kind of hard to know since we're we're still understanding the long-term side effects of COVID and the, the folks out there who became infected but um, did not succumb to the illness, but developed long COVID symptoms, which many still struggle with shortness of breath. And then you add a chronic lung illness on top of that. So that will make their you know breathing issues just that much worse. So whether you know the effects of COVID are still with them or whether it's their lung disease that got worse from their COVID infection, because we have seen that as well, uh, coupled with bad air quality, just is a, a recipe for disaster for, for some of these more severe respiratory patients. Oh, and do we have Dr. Filippelli with us still? Yes, I'm still here. Um, okay, thanks. I wanted to get a question into you. It's sort of a personal curiosity. Is I remember a couple of years, maybe it was you on our program, said as climate change continues, Indiana will be one of the places in the U.S. with a more stable supply of water. Um, I don't know if that sounds accurate to you, and it made me think, oh, Indiana will be a place you want to be during climate change. But now all of these events sort of have me thinking it might not be that simple. I'm wondering if you can, you know, respond to that. Uh, yes. Well, when you think about it, it certainly wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be Texas that you'd want to be, right? Right now <laughs> or the South, uh, where they've had record uh, triple-digit uh, rain uh, temperatures for uh, a very extended amount of time. But um, I think my uh, my 
biggest concern with climate change and climate change stability is that the coasts are particularly vulnerable to the worst impacts, of course. And um, and so the, the coastal communities are are much more vulnerable. And the Midwest is less vulnerable to some of these extremes. However, I think this shows that no place is safe from climate change. I mean, uh, climate change is going to impact our the state of weather, the state of climate, wherever you are. Uh, some of it's going to be more moderate and some of it's, uh, it's going to be worse. But I think the key is just we need to continue to build resilience into our life, our planning, uh, understanding that today is not going to look like tomorrow necessarily, just like 2023 doesn't necessarily look like the weather and climate of, uh, of 2013, for example. So. Uh, yeah, I, I hate to say no place is safe because that sounds apocalyptic. It's not really apocalypse, but um, but changes are coming and they will continue to come. Well, great. Gabe, thank you for joining us on the call. I know that you have to run, um, so we'll let you go real quick. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and our guests are here to field your questions and comments. You can tweet us at Noon Edition, or you can send us an email at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also join us on the air and call in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. I now believe we are joined by Dr. Carlos. Do we have you on the air? Yes, I'm here. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome to the show. I uh, just want to start with a, a quick one for you. A uh, little bit of a, a, a pivot, but pollen levels, have they increased uh, or, or decreased due to the recent weather? I mean, what's going on with pollen out there? Well, the good news is that pollen levels are low right now. Uh, they were very high in late April, even into May here in Indiana, and we had lots of you're struggling with allergies and symptoms related. But here into June and moving into July, these are back down to low normal levels. Uh, we have an eye towards early fall, late August, September, when things to pick back up with ragweed coming on. Okay. And so do we see, how do we see an interaction between pollen levels and the air quality that we've seen? Do they exacerbate each other in terms of what we can expect from like our, I guess, our breathing? Yeah. So you tend to think about your nasal passages and your lungs as being inside your body. But actually, they're kind of outside your body, right? Because all that air gets in there and it interacts with the membranes or the tissues that line the airways. And so be it pollen or air pollutants, they will cause inflammation, irritation to the linings. And that can lead to shortness of breath. People may have increased asthma related cough uh, and runny nose, itchy eyes, all those things uh, increase with both poor air quality and also pollen levels. One of the things we heard through our reporting throughout the week was how small the particles for smoke are that we have been breathing in and how dangerous that is. Can you give us an idea of the size of a pollen particle compared to um, something from the fire from the smoke? Um, sure. Yeah, so um, the smoke fire is a bit smaller in terms of microns. Uh, you know, it's traveled very, very long distances, whereas pollen can be big enough that it could like latch onto your clothes, which is why for allergy sufferers, it's always you know, a good idea to make sure you're washing your clothes in, in hot water, uh, changing your linens on your bed weekly and washing in hot water just to kind of get all that stuff off and out. 
um, they typically don't travel as far as these very small, fine pollutants that are coming from the wildfires. These uh, pollutants include carbon monoxide, which you may recall uh, not only comes out of exhaust pipes, but also is a byproduct of cigarette smoking. And so this carbon monoxide is particularly bad for us because uh, it can diffuse into our blood and block the uptake of oxygen from the air. So um, th this is just one of many things that are being found and discovered from the wildfire smoke that can affect our bodies. Dr. Carlos and Dr. Adams, I guess you can sort of both answer this, but what's the long-term effect on the body from being exposed? Like, I guess, um, a week out, what if um, you're exposed for more than that to bad air quality? What's that start to do, do? Excuse me. What does that start to do to you? Well, um, you know, the, the levels that we've had here from the wildfires, it probably doesn't have a big long-term effect if it's a transient exposure, meaning just for a few days or a week. But we have good evidence from places, uh, countries where a lot of cooking over open flames occurs in small spaces like shanties. I've been to Kenya, Nairobi three times, and the Mathari Valley there, a lot of the cooking they do is in these small shanties. And you know, that level over time of exposure can lead to problems of the lungs like emphysema and lung fibrosis. That being said, I'm, I'm not worried that um, these the small amounts of um, pollutants we're getting from the wildfires are going to cause long-term health effects on Hoosiers. That's good to hear. So yeah, we, we, I, would, I, would, I would agree there, too. It's just it's going to cause a flare-up of people's disease that they currently have, um, but shouldn't be a, lo a long-term problem. We've seen um, some places from the uh, that the National Weather Service described Thursday's storm as a derecho. And for anyone that doesn't know, could you answer what exactly that is? What what is a derecho? Yes, let me uh, just one second. Let me pull up the exact definition. So it is uh, there is a technical definition. Um, so technical def definition for that um, is a storm complex that extends at least 240 miles per hour and has wind gusts of greater than or equal to 58 miles per hour long, most or all of the length, essentially. So there is that technical definition, but essentially it is just a long-lasting, um, strong complex of storms. Does it seem like we're going to have any of those coming up in the next few days of, of storms that are coming through the area? So, you know, we are kind of in this pattern where it does look favorable. So yesterday's event was technically classified, again, as a duratio. Um, but uh, right now, there's some storms out in northern Iowa and heading into western Illinois now that we're kind of keeping an eye on. Um, doesn't look to be quite as bad as yesterday. But unfortunately, we're looking at probably three to four rounds of storms moving through before the end of the weekend. Does poor air quality spawn storms? So, no, that would be kind of completely separate. So, like today, with we're dealing with the, the ozone, essentially, versus the smoke, um, typically we see those higher ozone days during the summer where you don't have a lot of wind um, and it's a very hot day that really allows those ozone levels to build up near the surface. Um, so usually when we're looking at the potential for storms to move through, that usually kind of helps clear the air out and avoid those higher air quality problem days. 
We did see an update this morning from uh, Duke that through through these storms, more than 200,000 people lost power after the storm. And as we kind of move into to having more weather, I'm curious uh, for anyone that has an answer, what can people do that are still without power to prepare for what's coming or even people that, that have power? I mean, what can they do to kind of prepare for incoming weather? Yes, unfortunately, uh, you know, there's still over 150,000 people in Indiana um, without power. That's mostly um, situated more towards the Terre Haute area. That's where the worst of it. But even across you know, Monroe County near the Bloomington area, we're still looking at 15,000 people without power. So really, some of the things you can do now is if you have somebody that you know that has power, you know, go out and hang out for a bit, especially with these temperatures getting warmer. We want people to get inside in some air-conditioned areas. But, you know, with additional storms moving in, that's going to slow down the crews, um, cause additional problems. And also, you know, when we get these multiple rounds of storms, that really hurts the trees. So a lot of trees that may have, you know, taken a hit yesterday um, are a little bit weakened. Uh, so that can cause additional problems then uh, when, when more rounds of storms move through, that that cumulative effect really can take a, take a hit on things. Should people be taking care of their trees now then, looking at branches that maybe um, are close to their homes and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, if you have the opportunity to, um, now's a great time. Anytime you can get out ahead of those storms to try and clean things up. Um, but we do want people to be careful with the potential for storms and also, again, the air quality not being perfect today. Uh, it may not be the best day, but, you know, if you have a chance to go out and clean up a little bit, uh, it certainly couldn't hurt to get out there for a little bit. On today's noon edition, we're talking about the recent extreme weather conditions and poor air quality. To share your comments or questions, tweet at Noon Edition, or you can send us a message at news at indianapublicmedia.org. If you would like to join us on air, you can call in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. Uh, this one is for Dr. Carlos again. Um, what should people with severe pollen allergies do to better protect themselves? Well, there are all kinds of medications now, even over-the-counter medications that you can use to help support symptoms. I mentioned earlier a couple of things you can do in the home. For example, taking really careful care of those bed linens, washing them in hot water. Another strategy is covering your mattress and your your pillow with a, you know, an allergy blocking cover. These can be found at many Walmart type of uh, places that can limit your exposure to allergens. Keeping those bedroom windows closed, maybe employing a HEPA filter because as those things, those pollen and allergens come in through the window, they settle on your sheets and we spend a lot of our lives right there in bed on our sheets. So limiting that kind of stuff is important uh, as well. And if you can avoid going outside uh, when the pollen counts are really high, uh, if you're particularly susceptible, um, do so. The pollen trackers and pollen counters are really easy to find for Indiana and Indianapolis online just with a quick Google search. Awesome. And then, Dr. Adams, when we are anticipating um, more storms coming in, what are some of the um, types of patients that you see sort of coming in immediately? What are some of the things that an emergency room is preparing for in those situations? Yeah, with with the severe weather, um, with potential tornadoes and high winds, it's it's those folks who are unfortunately not indoors or protected who are hit by flying debris 
um, or uh, those those types of injuries. It's then you know in the six to twelve to twenty four hours after if if some of those respiratory patients or cardiac patients who either don't have power or can't get their home oxygen going um, may have problems as well. And then we we kind of didn't touch on we've been really kind of touching on the pulmonary or the lung patients with this bad air quality and, and things is that these also do uh, trigger some patients with cardiovascular problems with heart disease. It puts more strain and stress on that system as well. So we, I haven't checked our logs or looked at our visits in our local emergency departments here, but um, I would potentially suspect more patients having chest pain or other heart-related concerns from this poor air quality as well. Okay. Um, yeah, and I was looking before we came in on, at a couple of articles that mention that exposure um, to, what is it, PM 2.5 during those times um, of poor air quality visits to the emergency room do increase. Is that mostly you mentioned kids as an area of concern earlier? Um, but I guess what kinds of vulnerable populations are you thinking about? Um, I guess I'm thinking Indiana, a lot of physicians were really worried in Indiana because we have high rates of smoking, heart disease, those types of things. Yeah, the 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 children, you know, are, are at risk population just because of the things we talked about with size and the amount that they're inhaling based on their size. But for the most part, what we're going to see in the hospitals and emergency departments are the elderly patients and those with pre-existing or coexisting um, lung and heart conditions. Those are the most vulnerable populations um, for Indiana. And yes, we do have higher rates of smoking and heart disease. So when bad air settles over this part of the country, it, it really can exacerbate a lot of those chronic conditions. This one, I don't know if anyone will have an answer for this, but I want to throw it out there because uh, we've been talking a lot about the the human response to bad air quality. But I'm curious about if anyone would be able to answer what's does how is wildlife affected by this, or even our furry friends that we have in our own homes. Deafening silence. That's okay. We don't. We if we can't answer it, that's fine. We just gave it a try. They breathe the same air. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> so it can have it can have those effects, but I mean, I miss looking up at that robin egg blue sky like we have back here in Indiana today. The last few days just kind of felt like sleepy days. Um, so maybe it has some effect on the circadian rhythms uh, for all creatures as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. There was one thing as well, and, and something that we often talk about when, when tornadoes come through the area is their, this, the, the, the destructive capability as well as just how targeted sometimes or, or how you know it only touches one side of the street as opposed to another. Um, for example, in Martin County, there was a fatality. Um, and looking at the area, it was almost like the tornado just targeted that one house, just completely taking it out, but not so much the area around it. Um, can, would, would our, would our Nat National Weather Service person be able to kind of speak to us a little bit about um, how that works with tornadoes? Because it's something we see often, but it's, it's, it's a little hard to fathom when you're, when you're thinking about the power of these, these things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, these tornadoes often are, you know, not very wide. Um, sometimes they can be as, you know, small as, you know, 10 to 20 yards or, you know, 20 to 30 feet. Um, and so that destructive area really is very contained. Uh, so that tornado that, you know, specifically the one that moved through Martin County, you know, it really stayed very rural. Um, it only crossed a handful of roads, um, even along its full, uh, close to 10-mile path. And unfortunately, there was, you know, one home that was kind of right in the, kind of took a, the direct hit. And there was the one person that unfortunately died and the other that uh, is uh, was sent down to Evansville or airlifted to Evansville. Um, due to the injury that the, they sustained within the home. So it really is kind of crazy sometimes how you'll see that. You'll, um, you know, I've been out on tornado surveys and we'll be looking at this house that's been, you know, heavily damaged. And then, you know, they've got a picnic table or sitting, you know, just 50 feet away that those air currents are very violent, but also very variable, even within a small area. So sometimes even when you see the tornado within the tornado, there'll be spots that uh, take more damage than others. Uh, just the way that those air currents are kind of violently rotating, but also not as violently in certain spots. So when we talk about classes of tornadoes, I think we saw like EF1 and EF2. Um, so what do those, uh, can you give us an idea for what kind of damage we can expect from those types of tornadoes and how common are, um, what's the most common power or like level for a tornado to reach in Indiana? Yeah, so in Indiana, thankfully, we almost are always on the lower end of the scale. Um, so 93% of tornadoes are in that EF0 to EF2. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, that EF scale or uh, Fujita scale essentially goes from 0 to 5, where essentially a 0 is pretty equivalent to what we saw with the winds uh, here yesterday. Um, so in the 65 to 85 mile per hour range where you're going to see some tree damage, but uh, most homes are fine. That EF1, that's where you're going to start to see, you know, roof damage, you know, pretty more more widespread trees. And it's those twos that you start to see more significant damage to homes. Um, so in the case of the, the earlier tornadoes, they were kind of in that 100 to 120 mile per hour range. So, you know, generally enough that, you know, most sturdy homes are going to be, you know, come out fine other than some roof damage. But unfortunately, those mobile homes or those manufactured homes that aren't, uh, you know, quite as robustly built, those are the ones that take a little bit more significant damage, and unfortunately, that's uh, kind of what uh, led to that fatality uh, earlier. Those EF3s, 4s, and 5s, those are on the much higher scale, and thankfully across Indiana, again, very rare. We've only seen a handful of EF3s even in the last 10 years across central Indiana, and the last EF5, you know, we're talking uh, close to 50 years ago. So those, even the 4s are getting very rare for this uh, part of the country. Do tornadoes have any impact on air quality? So not normally, no. Um, so a lot of the times those tornadoes, they may pick up, you know, you know, various sticks and debris and stuff. That settles down very quick. Uh, those air quality concerns are mostly caused by the much smaller particles than that, you know, that 2.5 that we talked a little bit about earlier. Oh, in the past, it, it was often difficult to, to predict when tornadoes would hit, but I'm curious if maybe... Nowadays, as compared to two, five, or even ten years ago, are there better ways to, to track them and to catch them earlier? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a lot more um, computer models that are kind of working in much smaller timescales than we had um, five, even five to ten years ago. And we're always working to try and you know fine-tune things a little bit more. Um, we've got models now that run essentially on a scale of like 30, you know, running every 30 minutes and are running at a, essentially a storm scale, which is giving us a lot more information about 
kind of predicting you know, how certain storms are going to behave going forward, which is something even a few years ago we uh, didn't have that information. So that's really helped a lot. And then, you know, just with the advancements in the computers, um, we're able to kind of get a better feel for things further and further out than we were able to in the past. For for our uh, our health professionals in the room, I'm curious, uh, as far as air quality goes, we've talked a lot about the acute responses, the symptoms that you get from being out in, in that air. What are some of the problems that we'll begin to see if we we continue to breathe this air um, for longer periods of time with, with less and less breaks in between those, those rough patches? Well, it's hard to know for sure. Uh, it probably depends on the concentrations and the amount of exposure. People that work outside are going to have more exposure than indoor workers, and people who have pre-existing lung conditions may have more susceptibility to trouble than people without. The um, it's, it's hard to predict how much of our summer is going to be affected by these. Uh, one practical problem that many of us who like to exercise face is we're not exercising outdoors like we normally would in the summer simply because it's either harder to breathe or it's advised against. So that's something to be mindful of. Uh, it can also affect, you know, people's eyes. Uh, it can affect the nasal and ear passages leading to more kind of cases of uh, otitis media or inflammation of the ear passageways. Um, so I, I can't say for sure, but I'm hopeful that any effects are mild and uh, not permanent. And are these the patterns going to increase maybe the rate at which other diseases spread? I know we've talked about um, on other shows the proximity that we have to animals. I don't know if like the heat itself makes us more prone to spreading germs or like new viruses being produced. I don't know if that's something, Dr. Adams, you feel comfortable speaking to. Yeah, generally, you know, the the concept of uh, viruses or, or illnesses jumping from animals to humans is not so much heat or air quality as the compactness of the animals in certain situations. So those big open markets and things like, like that. So I don't think that is really going to impact that as much as as we would think you know the the thing with the air quality here you know being in bloomington where we don't really consider ourselves a big urban center we do know that um you know the rates of asthma in urban centers is higher than than non-urban centers and you know part of that is air quality so you know if if our air quality became so bad over time you might see an uptick in long-term lung disease, but that, again, I think would take a lot of days of the year having bad air quality. We we got a couple questions from Samantha, uh, but this one popped up top of mind for me. When should someone consider going to the ER versus going to a walk-in or calling their primary care provider? Yeah, those are, those are always uh, tricky questions and tough questions for a lay person who doesn't have a lot of medical um, background. But generally, um, the the older patients who have known longer heart disease, who are having shortness of breath or difficulty breathing or chest pains, those are uh, generally best evaluated 
in an emergency department setting, we have the opportunity to run rapid testing um, and have the access to specialists if needed. For the more uh, local irritations, uh, smaller things, you know, itchy eyes, sore throats, um, you know, less acute symptoms, um, the urgent cares, the walk-in clinics, uh, even, you know, talking with your primary care office about a next day appointment um, all seem very reasonable. We are coming up on the last uh, five minutes of our program today, and uh, I did want to ask that we, we might only have a brief respite from the Canadian smoke as another storm front is poised to move through the region Sunday, um, right ahead of Tuesday, July 4th holiday. Are we expecting these storms to be severe, maybe canceling a couple barbecues in the area? No, it's something not to necessarily cancel your barbecue over, but it's something to keep a close eye on. Um, really, you know, today through the weekend, uh, so it's really three days where we are under risk uh, for severe weather. Uh, so even right now, we're watching some storms over Illinois and uh, how that may impact things over here going into the later afternoon. But right now, it looks like Saturday is kind of the best chance for the most frequent uh, storms. We could see some storms in the morning, um, followed by some additional ones during the evening. And then on Sunday, again, widespread storms. But uh, again, the severity is still a little uncertain. Uh, unfortunately, with this you know, pattern, it's very hard to predict uh, much more than like the first two storms because a lot of these storms will impact one. So the storms yesterday are impacting storms today. The storms today will impact storms tomorrow. So again, nothing to cancel anything over yet, but we really do want people to be aware and to be keeping an eye on the weather if they are going to be planning a, an outdoor event. And then also, what about the Canadian fires and smoke coming down from that? Can we expect to see any more of that this summer? Um, what will determine what we experience? Yeah, so these Canadian wildfires are still definitely ongoing, but uh, the way the weather pattern is right now, at least through the next uh, week or so, uh, we shouldn't see any local impacts. We could see some you know, uh, smoke next week starting to kind of come back in during the, in the higher portions of the atmosphere. So it would be more just kind of hazy skies with no impact uh, close to the ground. But uh, although the, the smoke may not be an impact, we are really hitting into the, the peak of ozone season. So that uh, just a different type of air quality concern. So really mid-June through July is that peak time frame for those higher ozone levels, which are again mostly impacting just those that are in the more sensitive group versus the smoke which caused a more widespread impact well great thank you guys for for coming on that's all the time that we have for today i want to thank our guests for joining us for my co-host ben taboutier our producer nathan moore and engineer mike pashkash i am clayton Baumgarth. thanks for listening to noon edition Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org.